1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Hans Olsen, Scott Gerard. Big thanks to already so many people who have come on the radio station and talked about their memories and their experiences with Jerry Sloan. Um, I mean, Antoine Carl, Thurl Bailey, uh, Craig Bowlerjack, Gordy Chase is going to join us here in a moment. Uh, Mark Eaton, Phil Johnson, uh, so many great conversations, and uh, so many more will continue throughout the day right here on the Zone Sports Network. And I know this is a hard day for them, and, and I really do appreciate their willingness to come on. And It's tough because in sports radio or just in media in general, Scotty, we're asked to, well, you, you, you're really supposed to compose yourself. Yeah. And you're supposed to not show a ton of emotion or – and it's days like this, it's it's really hard. So I appreciate guys like Bowler and, and these these men and women that knew Jerry and loved him so much. I appreciate them coming on and being willing to open up their heart and share those stories with us. A man who was on the bench uh, next to Jerry Sloan for so many years uh, here in Salt Lake City. Gordy Chiesa, kind enough to join us. Coach, how are you? I am doing well, thanks. I have a broken heart right now as we speak, but uh... – as I just, I just heard you guys mention about it, that's all part of uh, Jerry's toughness, where the adversity is in front of you, the ability to confront it. So all of us in jazz basketball, including myself, uh, we speak with a, with a broken heart, but only in, only in good words. You know, Coach, I, I'd love to just go back and, and get some of your thoughts on, on the original meeting. What, what was it like the first time you met Jerry, and, and how many years ago was that, and and what was that interaction like? Well, I, I didn't know him. What happened, um, um, Jerry met me at the airport. So a long, long time. I got hired by the Jazz August 1st, 1989. And that was uh, Jerry's first full season as the head coach. Frank Layden, who I didn't know, was the person that put me with Jerry in front of each other. And so Frank came to my house in Rhode Island and simplifying the narrative said to me that, we want to hire someone different than Jerry and someone that is a college coach that's going to bring the college um, teaching atmosphere with our guys. And so that was the original genesis of uh, me being hired. And then Frank left, then I flew back to Salt Lake City, and Jerry's waiting for him at the airport. So we just shook hands, and he just said simply that uh, Frank Layden speaks highly of you. Let's talk. And that's how it all started. So Frank was the, at that time, Frank Layton, for the listeners right now, 12 years of the zone, Frank was the team president who just retired literally uh, eight months earlier. You know, I think that's interesting where Jerry seemed like he was so loyal and so trusting that, you know, and he's like, hey, look, if Frank Layton says you're good, then you're good by me and let's go. That's basically, I'm simplifying that exactly what's the narrative. And it worked out wonderful. Because I was there for 16 years. I left on June 10th, um, 2005 to go to the, at uh, that time, the uh, New Jersey uh, Nets. And for 16 years, think about it, uh, Hanson Scotty, we're involved in some of the most iconic games of all time, the most intense atmosphere and playoff games of trying to uh, conquer the competition. And Jerry was ready for the battle, to say the least. When you see, as an athlete, when you see somebody um, above sea level, 34,000 feet at 3 o'clock in the morning, that's who the people really are as far as, you know, as, far as the people on the plane. Because there's no one watching you minus your teammates and your coaches 
and you see somebody at a different light. And with Jerry, he never flinched. That whether win, lose, or tie, that we are going to practice well the next day or have a day off as far as uh, resting, and then we do practice, we'll be ready to play forward, not backwards. Gordy, I've been around so many different coaches, coaches that loved and cherished their assistants and opened up to them and took in information, and then coaches that would be flat-out abusive to their assistants. I'm curious, what was the coach, head coach-assistant relationship like with Jerry, not just with you, but with all of his assistants? Oh, also, Phil Johnson was involved in the equation, said the least. Phil and I and Jerry were together for, again, for 16 years. Phil stayed longer. I moved on. So people have told me this in the NBA of Rackham, Scotty, that Jerry, I, and Phil were the longest three people together in the history of basketball, as far as the three same people coaching the team. So we were empowered, both Phil and I. And with that empowerment, though, we knew who the boss was. And so it's that fine line where we would run and practice with the ball literally for, for literally uh, sometimes hours and direct, so Jerry could rest and practice some of the time at the intensity of the games. But we knew who the boss was. And it's that fine line where you're, you're, you're empowered, but you also respect absolutely the person in charge. What was it about Jerry Sloan's system that made it so effective? Because it didn't, you know, it didn't seem overly complex. It was just seemed like it was run like a finely tuned machine. The execution uh, culture, Scott, the ability to execute in the first quarter, and more importantly, three minutes left in the game. That that TV timeout at two fifty seven uh, left in the game as far as the execution. And so Jerry was a master of all the nuances offensively and defensively of the little things. But the most important thing was the main guys, absolutely, Carl and John, from day one, they wanted to execute. So when the main guys want to execute all the time, everyone else falls into place. So, hence, so suddenly Brian Russell has a terrific career. Shandon Anderson, Howard Isley, the original big dog, Antoine Carr. Jeff Hornacek was an all-star. So all the guys around John and Carl, led by Jerry's uh, execution culture, they flourished in it. The team won. They respected, the, they, they, respected, uh, they respected themselves as, besides teammates, as floor mates. See, a lot of times in basketball, um, you, could, you could be a good teammate, but not a good floor mate. A floor mate is somebody that enhances your game while you're playing in the competition. And that was jazz basketball, and that was Jerry as far as the leadership of the execution culture, where everything mattered, the screening angle, the, 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 the pass to the next pass, the help-to-helper defense, to uh, mismatch rebounding, to, to uh, the little things that in jazz basketball where you had to have your shirt tucked in. In other words, just think about it. They, a lot of times people come into a game, they're not ready to perform. And so in jazz basketball, the players were ready. Shirt tucked in, sneakers tied. After a game, nobody undid their uh, shirts or their sneakers until Jerry finished talking. Win, lose, or tie. Imagine that hands after a game, hard-fought loss. You know, people are saying uh, people are really uh, wigging out themselves internally. No one said a word until Jerry addressed the team. It was a short brief, uh, as far as a, a narrative, we'll say no more than a minute the most. But the players knew that. We're, they're rolling this together, and Jerry was the main focal point. 
I think there's an indescribable beauty about that, <clears throat> the amount of respect to keep the shirts tucked in, the shoes laced, until Coach is done talking. And I was thinking about this, Gordy. There were, there, I believe there are many different reasons why I respected certain coaches. Like I could respect a coach because I feared him. Uh, I respected a coach because he played, and I knew he played. And so I would listen because he had been there and he'd done that. Where did that level of respect come from from the guys for Jerry? What 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 was it that drove that respect? Was it was it fear of Jerry exploding? Was it a respect of who he was? Where did that come from mostly? It came from the ability to talk less. In jazz basketball, there weren't a lot of words said. So when words were said, it did matter. So, so example, we didn't overcoach players. We really, uh, we really got right to the point and put them in a situation where they were trying to, to win. And so Jerry had this uh, amazing ability to speak to the guys only for a few short words, and they understood exactly what he wanted to do, and then we would do the, the breakdown drills, et cetera, as far as the teaching part of it, to get everybody on the same as far as uh, – course of uh, of development it's it, it's not one thing there's so many things when you're a coach you have to be a, a leader but within leadership you have to be compassionate so a lot of times you, you see a jerry as this uh, tough guy on the sideline which he was absolutely but behind the scenes uh on the plane in the locker room in the lobby he was a compassionate person where players trusted him and most players that listened, and most of them did, they had a terrific career. Most of them truly overachieved, both playing the game and also economically. And that's all part of, quote, of Jerry's uh, greatness. And Jerry never took credit for it. He used to tell me that, he said to me, Gordy, like every year the, the, uh, there's a team pitcher, uh, uh, as far as for the, uh, for the fans and for the, the, G, the yearbook and stuff, the media guide. And Jerry said to me, the perfect world would be there would be 15 players and the trainer, and no coaches in the picture. Because the trainer and the 15 players, they're the most important people as far as w- what we're trying to do. Gordy Chies, a longtime assistant coach with the Utah Jazz, joining us uh, on the day in which uh, Jerry Sloan passes away. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on on players that came, and, and some players left uh, via trade or free agency and, and, and never really seemed to have that same I, – I can't – off the top of my head, recall a player who flourished once they left the Utah Jazz. And that is correct. It, and that and is it right. just seems... And the reason why is that the ability of Jerry and, quote, the system to hide players' non-strengths. See, a huge part of coaching, uh, hence, in the NFL, Scotty, in the NBA, is to hide the players' non-strengths because you're playing against the world's greatest players and the most athletic people on the planet. So maybe you have short arms. Maybe you're half-step slow as far as lateral quickness. It's our job as coaches is to hide your non-strengths. Oh, by the way, the players don't believe you, and they don't listen to that part of it. So it's how you say it to them, how you do the drills, how you really try to teach them to overachieve. And so those players in the era, and let's add to that, years later, after John and Carl left, uh, how about Memo Core? The guy, uh, as far as he, he became an all-star, and he really couldn't jump over the Sunday New York Times as far as verticality. And Carlos Boozer and Darren Williams, he became an all, he became a really an, an elite player with the Jazz. So part of it's the system, 
all the time, it's Jerry's superior coaching. And most of all, from a player's standpoint, it's listenability. When the players trust you and they really know in their heart of hearts that you want what's best for them, even though it's painful sometimes. See, a lot of times in, in, in coaching at a high level, it's always, it's always painful because the players uh, sometimes uh, don't listen totally. But once you overcome that, that a negative thought in their mind, the, the better players want to be coached up, and they make a mistake. They want to be called out because they don't want to do it again twice. And that was Jerry's absolute brilliance. All right, so, Gordy, the, the lights shut off and the crowd goes home and everything's quiet and Gordy and Coach Sloan head out for a drink or for some food. What, what was he like in those moments, away from the crowd and the noise and, and the attention? Oh, he had the ability to leave the game behind because you have to. When it, otherwise, it would drive you absolutely crazy as far as you couldn't be able to think uh, rationally. Most coaches, generally speaking, are irrational people because the pressure to win is so incredible, especially in the NBA and the NFL because the, the games are so heightened and they're so, uh, they're so uh, remembered by, by the general public. Jerry, behind the scenes, was able to really kick back and really um, – Understand that we can't we can't dwell on what happened in the past and that that night we just got to point forward. So he would absolutely have a he would absolutely be able to to understand that and to move on. When you coach for 23 years in the NBA at a high level, to say the least, a Hall of Fame coach, and when you play as an All Star in the NBA, you get it, you understand it as far as what it takes to be consistent. Like like anything else. The players, they, they, they want to be coached, but they want to be consistent about your personality, and that was Jerry. It seemed like from a media perspective, more often than not, if, he, if Jerry was going to be critical about his team in the media, it was sometimes after, more after wins than it was losses. And that is it correct. Like- that was by design. So because yeah. what you want to do is a message where you, you won the game, but we know that we didn't perform well. And so Jerry would address the team – we all, besides privately about that, but also to the media, where we won the game despite ourselves and that we have to work on these things. After a loss, most times he would say, generally speaking, that the loss is on me, that it's my fault, not the players, that I didn't do a good job coaching them enough and that it's on me. And that's the players respected that, and they responded. Scotty, you were there a lot of times. There was very few times that when the Jazz were on a one- or two-game losing streak, you could, you could almost book it that they weren't going to lose the next game. Never, because of the intensity of the practice sessions. And these practice sessions, they're legendary. Um, Hans, a lot of times college coaches and high school coaches would come watch practice, and they, they, they always said to me all the time, they, I, they, I can't believe how you guys, how these guys, how intense it is in practice, and there's very few uh, bad words being said. I said, because that's the culture of it, and the players know that less is better, less talking, less, this has played a role right now. Gordy, I, I need you to share a story, and you've shared this on the air before, uh, but uh, the Greg Elster tag bag of ice. Oh, the, the bag of ice? Yeah, was it a bag of ice that, that Oster tag threw at, uh, threw at Jerry, and then Jerry dodged it and kept talking? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Besides, yeah. yeah. Uh, Greg Elster tag, let's say sometimes, um, and this is public, you know, this is public, so he sometimes oh, yeah, I'll call yeah. it a, Scotty, he was a wayward soul, if you, know, if you get my drift. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
Jerry was on Ocetag after warning him, he prefaced saying this. He warned him about 100 times before this, if you get my drift, as far as doing a certain thing. It was pick and roll defense, and uh, we warned him, and it, we, we all did, and tried to get him through it. And suddenly he would, uh, for whatever, only he knows why, and he threw a bag at Jerry, and Jerry just obviously ducked. No one said a word, and Jerry just kept on talking. But after that, the players <laughs> got on great. And so, it was, again, it was a lot of times when you have an elite team, the players are the policemen on the team, in a good way, that they're the ones. So Jerry just uh, ducked and uh, kept on talking. So it wasn't going to be a confrontation because you didn't want to mess with Jerry as far as in a confrontation because only, only one person going to be standing, if you, know, if you know what I mean. Uh, I, I love that story so much where Tag is just so frustrated. <laughs> so he grabs a bag of ice, he throws it at Jerry. Jerry just easily, uh, you know, dodges it and just keeps talking and <laughs> doesn't, even, doesn't even acknowledge what just happened. And that's, and that's a sign of really of a, of a great leader is that uh, the ability to, to, to uh, understand how players think. It's different. When, when you're a coach in the NBA, you have to, uh, the players, they're, they're tightly wound. That, that makes them good. That, that makes them why they're good, because they, they are, they're the physicality of the moment. It's all part of it. Good players want to be coached up. And that's at every level. They want to be coached up, because they, they want to be the best they can be. And then Jerry brought the best out of highly the majority of the players. I mean, Carlos Boozer was an all-star. I mean, I keep thinking the guys, I, I don't want to keep praising only John and Carl and Jeff because yeah. cause that's not fair to the other guys after that. But when we had Mehmet O'Korn, we had Carlos Boozer. Both those guys really overachieved. And how about, how about Matt Harpering? How about Thurl Bailey? How about Mark Eaton? Mark Eaton, uh, uh, um, Roger Bell as far as overachieving. Carlos sure, Royal cool. overachieving. All these guys are all part of, of jazz folklore, and Jerry was the main point of it. I can remember so many stories with Jerry talking uh, on the plane about when Jerry played in the 1960s and 70s, where there's only 18 teams in the NBA, and you literally you are fighting for your life to keep making the team and to keep playing well. And that's what always, Jerry always talked about that as far as uh, coaching in the NBA and playing in the NBA is a privilege, not a right. And with any privilege, you have to respect the game. Coach, did you guys ever have many conversations about his his contracts and and how he would negotiate and and how he? No, felt we, about we, his we didn't have an agent. It's how crazy is that? Not all three of us. Phil Johnson, myself, and uh, Jerry Stone never had an agent. And the reason why, because of the late, great Larry Miller. See, again, we, we mentioned about Jerry. We've got to also include Larry Miller and Gail Miller in, in, the, uh, in the apex of this because Larry was there every single minute, and uh, he was a good man. I know, I know today's uh, it was the sadness of Jerry passing on, but also with Larry Miller. There was nothing like it, uh, Hans, because we all worked in lockstep. We always didn't agree, and that's perfectly normal, not agreeing all the time. But once we left the room, we were in lockstep as far as this is what we're going to do. It's best for jazz basketball. So when, when we negotiated uh, with uh, Larry and with Frank Layden, later on uh, Tim Howells, who was vastly underrated as far as uh, helping, helping jazz basketball, we negotiated. It was a very, very small negotiation because uh, they knew the value of Jerry, hopefully other people involved in the equation, and uh, we knew the, we knew the uh, we knew what, what the situation was unique in a positive way and that we stayed there for such a long time, and that's the reason why. There was so many instances of, of – well, let's just look at the coaching staffs today. I mean, you've got 
Uh, you've got, it seemed like, one coach for every player. I mean, these staffs are just enormous. Uh, you've got uh, analytic guys. You've got computer guys. You've got uh, player development guys. And, and I'm not knocking. I think it's great, and I think it's helping the evolution of the game. But, Coach, for so many years it was you, Phil, Jerry, Kenny Nat, um, you know, Mark. Just there, there, It was just a, a handful of guys that made that team go. And i got to imagine that you, you look back and I can't, you know, that would be unheard of in today's ba- in today's game, Coach. That is correct, which means that we're all empowered, that all of us hopefully had a certain expertise and we were able to run with it to the ultimate, and the players respected it. So when Phil and I were talking practice, there was no drop-off as far as, uh, as, far as uh, listenability, and what we're saying is absolutely what we're going to do. And that was uh, Jerry empowered us because of um, – his belief in all of us as people. Let's fast forward it now. So what happens now, and just, and just in generally speaking, is that when you have so many people talking in practice or talking in the locker room, that the message is lost. And again, in jazz basketball, less is better. Less is better means less words, higher intensity, and that, that's able to you do to uh, to be able to perform at a high level, both as a team and also individually. So it's not, it's not a question of how many people on your staff. It's the people on the staff and what they can do as far as bringing out the best out of each player most of the time. See the words I'm using? Most of the time. And that, that was jazz basketball in yesteryear. And hopefully it will continue in jazz basketball with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and Joe Ingles and that crew as far as them going forward. Coaching in the NBA, there's nothing like it. The intensity of, of what you have to do, the words you use. Sometimes you, you take a step sideways to go 10 steps forward. Because when Jerry did that with Osetag, when that infamous ice thing came at Jerry's head, he said indirectly he went 10 steps, he went one step sideways to go 10 forward with the team. And that's smart coaching, that's savviness, that's the ability to see the big picture, even though at the moment of intensity, Many people are going to what overreact to certain things. So what you want to do, what you want to do is you want to be an intense person that still what is under control in their actions. Gordy, before we let you go, you know there are certain times, moments, stories that I reflect on when I think of you know coaches like Lavelle and some of my other coaches that have passed. What, what times, what moments, what things will you reflect on when you have some private time and and you want to reflect on Jerry? What are, what are one or two things that you'll recall and put a smile on your face with? Our personal conversations about life, about our families, about growing up. Uh, Jerry grew up on a farm. His whole life was a, a farmer. I grew up in urban Jersey City, like urban. So we're two different people growing up. And uh, Jerry's father died at a young age, and my mother died at a young age. And so we had this commonality as far as just that part of it, but also as far as uh, two different people, two different uh, backgrounds coming together. And so it was our personal conversations that we had about family, about life, yes, about NBA and about pick-and-roll defense, but it was way beyond that. I can remember the most. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, uh, did you watch the Jordan documentary, and what was it like, uh, re- if so, what was it like revisiting some of those memories? I, Scott, I, did, I watched all of them, and uh, it was absolutely well done. My memory of it was Jordan's greatness. 
Let's not forget, Scotty, in game six in 1998, Jordan missed 20 shots in that game. Yeah. He shot 15 yeah. for 35 in the game. Thus, he scored 45 because of his brilliance. So my memories of those games of the whole series was, was the brilliance of Jordan and the brilliance of Carl. People forget in game five in United Center on a Friday night, we're down, we're, we're, we're down. it was an elimination game. Carl scores 39 points, 11 rebounds, and five assists to not allow the Bulls to, to break those balloons up in the ceiling as far as celebration. So that's my memories of all those things as far as you know, Rodman, as far as Tony Kukoc. I, Scotty, um, I was asked this question you know, so many times the last few days. What was the single reason why that the Jazz were not successful? So besides Michael Jordan's greatness was the Bulls' length. People don't realize how long the Bulls were defensively. In this generation, you know, what's your wingspan? Hey, what's Rudy Gobert's wingspan? What's this guy's wingspan? But at that era, it wasn't as uh, pronounced, but it was absolutely even more effective. So, for example, Jordan's wingspan, Ron Harper's wingspan, Scottie Pippen's wingspan, underrated Tony Kukoc's wingspan, Dennis Rodman's wingspan, and Luke Longley's wingspan. So we lost basically because our elite players were being guarded by unbelievable length defenders that really made them really have to shoot into a contested hand. And despite that, we, you know, both, the, both those series in 97, 98, they were absolutely classics. And you know, and you know the metrics of it. Both those, uh, the 1998 game six was the most watched televised game in the history of basketball. Still is. Still, it still is right now, and the, the series between the Jazz and the, and the uh, Bulls in '98 is the most watched series of all time. Not the Warriors, not the Lakers, not uh, not the uh, Miami Heat recently. It's the Jazz Bulls. Well, I've said it, you know, this past week, and I've said it for years before. Uh, Carl's performance in Game Five was the single greatest Jazz playoff performance in in history. Well said. Agreed. The magnitude of it, and again, the ability where Carl refused to lose. Yeah. Jerry Sloan refused to lose. Yeah. We're honoring Jerry today, and uh, again, my heart is broken from it. But I want to—I want to bring that point about it, about the ability of great athletes and great coaches that they—they they refuse to lose. In jazz basketball, we might have been defeated, but we never lost. Gordy, uh, we could talk all day. I appreciate it. I know it's a rough day for a lot of us, but it's also a fun day to celebrate the life of Jerry Sloan and who he was as a man and as a coach and as a mentor. Uh, but can't thank you enough for hopping on with us and uh, look forward to chatting with you again. Thanks, guys. Peace out.